0: Good afternoon, everyone. How are you doing today? Welcome to our first episode of the PsychFlow podcast. Um, I'm so happy, first of all, to have you here with me today. I am so incredibly excited about this project. Most of you, if not all of you, will know me from YouTube. However, we have decided that we want to branch out a little bit, you know, just do something a little bit different, try new things, and explore our abilities and, essentially, talents, really. What what else can we do you know what else can we do with um, our platform and so we are trying podcasting I'm not gonna lie I'm really really excited as someone who talks a lot about everything as someone who likes to express their opinions and be argumentative and also you know just have very intense discussions I'm really excited about this I hope you are too and I hope you really enjoy we're gonna first of all start off as a single woman show but that is going to change very soon i'm gonna have a host with me who i'm really excited about it's actually one of my best friends um he's currently doing a doctorate degree and i'm really excited to have him here with me um it's probably gonna be you know a part-time job for him because he is extremely busy but i'm really excited i think bringing in guests and people who have a level of you know education individuals from a different field than my own i think that will really make for a great discussion. I think they really have something very valuable to bring to the table and so I'm just really, really excited. Hopefully all that is still to come. Hopefully you are as excited as I am. But today I wanted to talk about something a little bit different. Today I want to kick off this um, podcast series and talk about relationships. I often get asked about my relationship, my personal relationship, my interpersonal relationships with other people, but especially when it comes to my romantic relationship with my boyfriend. Um, A lot of people on my channel, a lot of people in my life do approach me and say that it looks people who are on the outside like a good healthy relationship you know we both look very happy um we both kind of you know radiate um in terms of you know just 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 happiness we we give that off to the world and i have been asked before you know what 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 do you do what is it that you do that what do you think makes up a good healthy relationship so i want to explore that a little bit today and i want to actually bring in some science behind it too i want to just kind of see what it says in terms of you know do opposites attract um what what is a good basis of a very good healthy relationship and what actually is a precursor and what can determine or be a factor that actually foreshadows someone breaking up or someone having you know not so good relationship or a divorce or anything like that because there is actually factors that you know we've investigated that say that if you do these things you're more than likely gonna get divorced or you're more than likely going to end the relationship that you are in currently. And so I wanted to talk about that today. And so the first place that I wanted to start in, the first place that I kind of wanted to use as a gateway into this topic was actually what my listeners and my audience thought. Um, And I got a lot of answers. I essentially asked you what you thought was the basis of a good relationship, what you thought makes up a good relationship, what you think is important in a healthy relationship, what is something that you can't do without. And I had an overwhelming amount of people tell me communication. I think the biggest answers and, you know, the most kind of popular ones were communication, trust, reliability, being comfortable with your partner, loyalty, and just the feeling that you can rely on them. A lot of people also said intimacy, a lot of people said that you have to be, you know, sexually compatible, which is absolutely subjective what works for one person won't work for another um but that's absolutely it i'm going to classify this answer that i got which just said eating ass as also intimate compatibility so yeah shared interest was another big one but i wanted to kind of use that as like a gateway to talk about the more important things the bigger things so i think that i feel like we hear a lot is that opposites attract right i feel like it's an idea kind of portrayed and perpetuated in a lot of popular media i feel like a lot of people kind of know this i feel like it's a concept that's not new in general um that doesn't actually have a lot of backing Um, i remember when i was in college this was our sociology and our psychology classes um, it was actually one of the first things that they've asked us and they were like would you date someone like yourself or would you actually look for someone who's different to you and why and a lot of people said you know opposites attract obviously that's something that we hear a lot of the time that's something that's kind of well known but it's not necessarily true i for one thought that there was no way i could date someone who's exactly who's exactly like me um you know i thought there's traits of myself that i really don't like there's traits of myself where like i'm actively working on them to make sure that i don't that i stop doing those things that, that are traits that I'm actively trying to suppress, there's habits that I'm trying to overcome and change and I think a lot of people can relate to that. I think a lot of people, you know, think that maybe if I date someone that's different to me and has virtually very different interests to me, we can, you know, bring the best out of in each other and one another essentially and unfortunately it's not really true and so for the longest time I thought that I had to be with someone who's quite a bit different to me. I thought, you know, this is something that's gonna make us interesting, you know, you're never bored and we're going to have so many things to talk about because we are so different but science seems to disagree and so I found this article which talks about this study that was done um, and it was a study published in the journal Psychological Science and what these people basically did was um, take information in terms of digital footprint so essentially just spying on people's likes <laughs> was what they did they looked at what people were looking up on the internet and they looked at what people were liking on the internet um you know what kind of what they posted about themselves and what they were seeking out in the media essentially this is things like instagram and facebook and youtube and things like that and majority of majority of these people actually interacted with other people which are similar to themselves so these people were publicly and essentially, you know, purposefully seeking out people who were exactly like them, on, who shared their interests. Another study was investigating kind of the same things, and they basically took information from acquaintances, from couples, from friends, and like groups of friends and couples um, and family members and things like that, and scored them on values, attitudes and personality traits, and they found that 86% of them were similar. Like, those, those six those 86, so 90% almost people matched across values and personality traits and attitudes. And those people who matched each other closely, those were, you know, couples and friends. So it almost looks like we do not seek out people who are different. We actually stay away from them. We actually seem to be seeking out people who are exactly the same as us. And I think that's incredibly interesting because I'm not sure where this, you know, phenomena, this saying of opposites attract comes from. I can totally see how people who are different could find, you know, similar, could could, have, could find a love language essentially, but I feel like it, even though it would lead to a lot of interesting conversations and, you know, a lot of kind of stimulation and maybe even bringing each other out of the comfort zones um, and, you know, having maybe like this exposure to different lifestyles and different things, I feel like in majority of the times it would almost always lead to conflict, and I feel like we have to be careful when it comes to conflict, because having conflict is one thing, but handling conflict is something that's so incredibly important when it comes to a relationship, and it tends to be devastating. That's actually what tends to ruin relationships, and be a very good predictor of how this relationship is going to end up. Um, Is it going to end very soon, or is it going to be a sustainable relationship? It, It all becomes clear when you see how the couple interacts with each other, especially around a time of conflict. But before I get into like conflict, conflict resolution, and then also this um, article and paper that I found that I really think is incredibly fascinating um, and I want to share with you guys, I want to talk about my experience and what I think personally makes a really good relationship. So the first thing, the starting point to me and for me will always be compatibility in terms of life goals so essentially when me and my boyfriend first met when me and owen first met um i sat him down and i said to him what i essentially told him my goals my goals and my expectations and i was like this is not i'm not going to be one of these people who will first you know get you into a relationship and then place all of these expectations on you all of these standards because that's unfair of me um just like i'm not going it's essentially like buying a house and then finding out all of the things that the house needs, you know, doing all of the things that the house needs, repairing all of the things that the house needs to have done after you already bought it, where, you know, backing out of it is possible but potentially costly in terms of, you know, money but in terms of a relationship it would be, you know, stressful and probably hurtful and things like that so I don't want to put him or anyone in that situation so I think what's important is to announce your goals first. So what we essentially did was sit down and have a conversation. Um, and that was like, you know, this is how I feel. This is the kind of person that I am. This is what I expect from my partner. This is the goals that I have in life. I am an incredibly independent person. Um, You know, my essentially, my, my whole thing is like, I don't need to be with anyone. I don't need anything. I don't need anything that a man can give me. I don't need time. I don't need money. I don't need love. Um, all of these things I can give myself. But I feel like, like that's why it's even better that I want to be in a relationship with someone because you know, you are assured that I don't, I'm not with you out of need or desperation. I'm with you because I want to be with you because you offer me something as a person that I find incredible, amazing, fascinating. So I think that is the first essential step is essentially just to sit down and, you know, talk about your goals and see if you are compatible on on that kind of term. Um, Because I know that if I did that in my previous relationship, I wouldn't be with that person. Person. So an example that, you know, I want to give you is, for example, I, I am someone who will never settle down in terms of like geographical location. Um, I have been traveling since I was a child. I moved from Poland to England. I am currently living in England. I moved from Newcastle to London. I will probably move from London to York or maybe to Manchester. And then, you know, upwards and onwards, I want to move and have a year off in Spain or in Greece or another, you know, hot country. And I just, I don't like sitting in one place for too long. Even when I was um, living in one place and I was in the same town for a very long time, I moved four times from different parts of town um, to different houses just because I, I fancied it and I could and I like change and I like to change my environment. And at the time I was with someone who was very heavily set on staying in one place which was a problem for me and you know if we didn't break up earlier because of other reasons we would have eventually have to break up because our outlook on life was different our goals in life were different and so it wouldn't work and fundamentally you know you can suppress it and you can say oh well you know get to that we'll, we'll talk about that once it comes up we will cross that bridge once we get to it but it doesn't always work because you are limiting yourself and you are limiting your potential if you are with someone who is so fundamentally different to you. I feel like it's going to either be you or the other person who will have to sacrifice things, sacrifice things that you believe in and that you love and that you want to do for the sake of the other person and you know I understand that compromise is extremely important but there's a difference between compromise and sacrifice. I feel like there's a huge difference between giving up what you truly want to do in life to make someone else happy. Where realistically, both of you could be happy even if it's with someone else. And so I feel like it's incredibly important to sit down at the beginning of a relationship and just talk, just again, communicate and say to the other person, look, this is what I want, these are my goals. What about children? Do I want children? Do you want children? Because that's something that you will unfortunately have to face at one point or another. And I don't think it's very useful or productive to just kind of, you know, put it off and say, well, I'm not thinking about it now because it's very, much easier to stop seeing someone after a month than you know five years or six years. It's it's very hard when you've spent six years with someone or God forbid you've married someone and then you realize that it's not working because it can be so much harder, both in terms of you know your attachments and your emotional struggles and also the the, the just the pressure put on you from family, from society in general, from friends, from everyone. It it makes it I, I have no doubt in my no doubt in my head that it makes it so much harder to break up with someone after years of being together versus, you know, a couple of months or a couple of weeks. I also personally um, think that getting into relationships, serious relationships, when you are young is not a very good idea and I think everyone kind of I, like idealizes and you know romanticizes this idea of high school sweethearts and people who have been together for a very very long time but again as someone who has been through that and this is me speaking from a point of just experience and anecdotal evidence rather than you know science just yet but as someone who's been in a relationship with someone at the same age of 15 up until 22 20- 20 or 21 um you grow up to be completely different people there is there is a possibility that you're going to grow up to be so incredibly different because you have met and you were together growing up essentially when you were forming your personality when you were maturing and blooming into this person that you were going to be for the rest of your life and a lot of the time your the personalities at the beginning don't necessarily match up the personalities at at the end of this process and so a lot of the time I have seen people who you know got together at a very young age and they were happy for so many years and then small cracks begin to appear because actually they've realized that they want to do different things in terms of you know where they want to live what they want to do for a career um what they want to do in terms of children and again because you got together so incredibly early um there's this there's this kind of you know just again just pressure put on you because what you're going to do break up now that you've been together for 10 years it's so incredibly it's so much harder Um, and that's without even bringing in the fact that Look at it however you want, but a lot of people will feel like they are missing out. They're missing out on the experiences that a lot of young people have because they have been in a committed relationship from such a young age, from 15 or 16. And so whilst all of your friends were partying, whilst all of your friends were, you know, maybe sleeping around or being sexually promiscuous, a lot of the time people will feel like they can't do that because of the girlfriends and almost come to resent the partners and again this is not me talking about like 20 year olds or 25 year this is me talking about teenagers who start getting into relationships at a very young age as teens and then start resenting their partner in their 20s and a lot of the time i feel like that can lead to cheating a lot of the time i feel like that can lead to resenting your partner in terms of like you are limiting me And you are not letting me the person that I want to be or that I wanted to be. It's because of you that I haven't had these experiences um, and things like that. So I feel like, again, long-term serious relationships are not going to work for everyone. And I almost feel inclined to say that they don't work for a majority of people, especially starting in the teen years um, and then progressing into early young adulthood. I'm starting to now see a lot of young people, especially on social media applications, like, you know, TikTok and Instagram, say things like, I would literally rather do anything then have a life like this and then flash these images of very traditional you know nuclear families and very very conservative and very kind of you know how, how how families used to be i see a lot of them say this is not the life i want and then contrast it with this is the life i want and it's a lot of moving around it's a lot of travelling a lot of um spontaneous activities a lot of things like that and i feel like it's you know a mixture of everything i feel like it's a mixture of us becoming more independent being exposed to a lot of new things and also knowing our opportunities because there's so many more than there was just like 10 years ago. I remember having, um, you know, meetings in school um, and assemblies and my teacher saying, I can't give you all of the career options because some of the careers, you know, don't exist yet, because some of the careers are gonna be online that we have no idea about. And truthfully, if anyone at that time would tell me that I'd be sitting here right now and talking to people, talking to, you know, thousands of people online for money as, as a way of earning, you know, my living. I would probably honestly laugh at them because it was such an absurd idea at the time. But I feel like it is a mixture of all of these variables, the the these you know ideas that we are we that we can work from home and we can't have everything of our own and we no longer need someone and that's why we are choosing to be with people rather than having to look for someone because of resources because of the life situation that we are in etc. And so I feel like that's why our generation, especially people in the 20s, are becoming more picky because we no longer have to be with someone. Now we want to be with someone. And because we already have everything that the other person could give us in terms of financial stability, in terms of material goods, we already have that. Because a lot of us have already started our careers or, you know, are independent and we're very proud of it. And I feel like that's why we no longer look to be with someone because of those things. Now we are being more picky because now it's kind of what can you offer me in terms of, you know, emotional attractiveness? What can you offer me in terms of, you know magnetizing me towards you but because of the reasons that money can't buy me. So now the piece of research that I really wanted to talk to you guys about today um, something that I found incredibly fascinating is this article um, and research paper by Dr. John Gottman and he's a leading researcher in marriage and couples issues and he's been studying Um, relationships and their dynamics for, you know, his entire career, essentially. Um, He, you know, specializes in understanding complex interactions between people and interpersonal and romantic relationships, and, you know, how the interactions, and particularly conflict, impact the relationship, and can they be a good predictive variable in terms of divorce or in terms of relationship ending? And so according to this paper um, there is two types of relationships and one of them is the healthy or regulated relationship and these couples have increased couple satisfaction um, these people are less likely to experience flooding which is basically you know this feeling of being so overwhelmed emotionally um, I'm sure many of you can relate to this this is you know during usually an argument or a confrontation where you feel like you are just being suffered Um through the argument essentially. Um, And so these people show less of these kinds of things, right? They show more satisfaction and they show less flooding. Um, And then the unhealthy or unregulated couples, or sometimes called hostile couples. So these people have decreased couple satisfaction, and this is what um, is called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Um, in this context, it basically this this is mechanisms underlying conflict, which I'll get to in a minute. But these couples, these unregulated couples, show more of the characteristics of the four horsemen, and they are more likely to experience flooding. They are more likely to be overwhelmed during um, an argument. They are more likely to have you know this feeling of suffocating, um, and they are less able to calm themselves down or even to soothe the partner and he describes something that's called a 5 to 1 ratio. So basically, he says that a healthy couple has a 5 to 1 ratio of positive to negative behaviours. Unregulated or unhealthy couples have a much lower ratio of positive to negative behaviours, which basically means that, you know, the ratio of good to bad in the relationship is much closer together, much closer to each other, you know, for every 5 bad things, there's 5 good things, whereas in a healthy relationship, for every 5 great things, there should be only 1 bad thing. Um, And so some of these positive behaviours that should, you know, dominate your relationships are expression of humour, which is relating back to, you know, what my viewers have said, is laughing till your bellies hurt and, you know, being really goofy with your partner. That's actually one of the things that should be shown in your relationship because that's something that is affecting you really positively. Another one is affection. And again, this is subjective to everyone, of course, Um, you know, there's people who don't mind being distant from the partners, but according to this man here who's, you know, spent years studying it, positive behaviours do include affection. Interest and joy have also been um, some of the other positive traits that are expressed in a healthy relationship, and that's also something that, you know, my viewers and listeners have said, that this is something that's really important to them, shared interest. And this is something, again, goes back to the um, similarities versus differences and, you know, do opposites attract kind of theory, because actually, if interests are so incredibly different, and, you know, you hate everything that your partner loves, can you really show true genuine interest in them and what they find, you know, very, what they're very passionate about? Or is it actually going to be, you know, a little bit of a... forced interest, let's say. And so according to him, um, like we've said, in positive relationships um, and positive behaviours that should outweigh the negative, that would be like human and affection, interest and joy, but the negative behaviours that should really be the one um, in terms of ratio, the five to one ratio, that should be sort of the minority, that's your expression of anger, that's your contempt or disgust, that's your whining and sadness, and that's your fear and tension that can absolutely relate, and I'm sure most of you can too, when you are in a room with someone and you can feel the negative energy, you can feel the tension, it is the most uncomfortable and mentally distressing. Even, I would almost say, even more than like an open argument where you are letting everything out, or at least personally to me, I feel more uncomfortable where there's this horrible tense silence than if we were to just confront each other about our, you know, differential views or what has hurt one another. But, um... He says that in these regulated couples, right, in these healthy couples, they, they essentially fall into three categories and one of them is the validating couple and I think this is what me and my partner fall under. I really do think that we are a validating couple and so these couples are characterized because they handle conflict in an open and cooperative manner. They exhibit increased positive emotions and they have respect um, for each other's opinions, so they believe in emotional expressiveness but in a moderation at the Right time. So there's no random arguments or outbursts in public. Um, there's no shouting. It's a very calm discussion um, between two grown people, essentially, with a lot of respect and validation for, you know, each other's opinions. He also says that these couples put a particular emphasis on companionship, on this idea of us, on this idea of, you know, unity between the partners. Um, And so I feel like in a lot of the conflict resolution, no one else is involved because um, it essentially only requires two people to resolve and so there's this emphasis on weeness or the, the you know the companionship um and then you know uh, in every single conflict resolution there's going to be this time of negotiation and also like influence right so at some point you're going to have to make a decision who was in the wrong and who should apologize or maybe come to uh you know unanimous decision on like we were both in the wrong and we both will apologize so in a validating couple um, you know the the, the the attempt to influence one another is kind of towards the end of the interaction. This is during the agenda building or negotiation phase. So this is once all of the opinions have been laid out, all of the opinions have been respected. We have talked about this, and then we make a decision. There's no impulsivity, and there's no um, you know explosive arguments. And I can totally relate to that. I I feel like this is the best description of the relationship that I am currently in. I definitely think that we do not think with our emotional minds, we most definitely, you know, lay out everything in the open, we both give each other, you know, time to speak, and we really value each other's points, and we, you know, try and stay respectful, um, because we we do realise that there's feelings that have been hurt when it comes to an argument, which is quite rarely, but when it does, you know, you have to really think about what it is that you're addressing and what should you do from there on. But I do think that it's important to say that that's not the only way there is because there's two more categories of couples who are also and essentially, really healthy, and they've been they've been classified as such in this um, in this research paper. And this is the um, volatile couple, and just like the previous one, they are very validating in terms of like opinions, and also the you know the, they handle the differences in a very open manner. But the difference is that um, this couple is a lot more competitive, right? So they exhibit a high frequency of negative emotions. And positive emotions. So they are very, you know, c- kind of on the opposite spectrum of the very neutral couple that I would say that I am, that I would say I classify my um, relationship as, and so they persuade the partner essentially straight away. So in contrast to the first one that kind of waits till the end to make this decision, this is a very much, you know, straight away, straight from the beginning, whose fault was it, who is in the wrong, um, and what should we do about it, and you know, this this paper says that um these people really have a high, you know, high persuasion attempt, um, high levels of that very, very quickly, right, like it escalates quite quickly, Um, and they are the the, the most expressive of all of the couple types, so they express positive and negative feelings just completely freely, um, and they show really high levels of affection and humour even during the argument and there's this kind of feeling of it's us against the world with these couples so like the first one was very much an emphasis on like we are one and this doesn't concern anyone else this is very much a we against them stance um and actually uh, this paper says that the men who prefer these types of relationships are very likely just as likely as women in fact to bring up anything that they found you know to be crossing boundaries or to be an issue um and these kind of couples are characterized by the openness and honesty and, you know, the, the influence on each other in order to see their strength, they are very much, you know, in favor of seeing each other's strength and also very supportive of mutual independence, which is, in, I, I still think, you know, even though it would it would not be a relationship that I would be participating in, just because of your personality, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying in terms of, like, getting interper- into interpersonal relationships and romantic relationships at a very young age, when you don't know yet what kind of person you are, when you don't know if you are a person who, you know, values another person's opinion but is very expressive of negative emotion and doesn't mind shouting. Not in a negative way, just in an expressive way. Um, You don't know that yet, because I'm definitely not that person, and I thought I was, and I can see now why my past relationships with men who were like that didn't work out. It's actually because I'm not one of those people, it's not, it's, it's not you know, no one's essentially fault really, but it's how you handle conflict. And so if you have one person who is very expressive and prefers to be very, very vocal and almost, you know, shout, and the other person is very quiet and would rather have a sit-down conversation. It's not going to work in the same way in terms of compatibility as it would with the other person who is exactly like you. And so before I start talking about, you know, the the described four horsemen of the apocalypse um and, you know, the, the unhealthy couples and how they handle conflict, the last couple, which is still classified as healthy, um is the conflict avoidant couple and now this is definitely not a relationship that I could find myself in Um, and I can I can tell that a lot of people around me and the people I associate with could not be in this relationship but again it was still classified as a healthy relationship and these are the couples who confront the differences covertly. They kind of downplay negative emotions and they focus on the similarities. They choose to focus on the positives rather than the negatives. They minimize the importance of the problem. Um, they kind of, you know, gossip and they focus on the strengths of the relationship. Um, you know, they, they, they try to focus more on the positives, the affirmations um, and the commitment to one another and the end conversation, you know, they the end all of the arguments with a very positive positive ending with a very open you know optimistic ending Um, and these couples will at times you know explore the emotions because the overall goal is acceptance but any kind of expression is usually very low-key it's usually very you know downplayed and so it's completely opposite to the volatile couples which are very expressive very explosive so you can see how someone during the romantic relationship that is very conflict avoidant couldn't really be could they really be comfortable with someone who's a volatile relationship type i don't think they could and i i genuinely think that i would be one of those people who could not handle being confronted so very openly and almost explosively in that way and now i think it's really important to kind of just take a look at how really unhealthy couples or mismatched or unregulated couples handle conflict in comparison to the healthy couples. So I I know you're going to be able to relate to this because these are the patterns um, of behavior that are actually the same for both of these people involved in this relationship. So both of these people have the same pattern, the same kind of conflict resolution, which is quite dysfunctional. So actually to the outside, people observing and looking in, to the friends, to the family, the relationship looks really dysfunctional, but for them it works. And I know for a fact you've got friends like that, because I've got friends like that, who are like, I, I've people who have known, like from school and things like that, people who I have heard of, who just keep breaking up and then getting back together, and then breaking up and getting back together, and no one knows why, and everyone always is advising them to leave one another because they're not good to each other, the relationship doesn't work, it's destructive, it's toxic, it's dysfunctional, and they keep getting back together and this is that's these kind of couples so although it looks dysfunctional it still works for them and this is you know when when people have different conflict resolution patterns um a few problems can arise right so you you either you know you you either have the same conflict resolution um, Patterns and they are generally dysfunctional, and therefore the relationship is dysfunctional. But you still keep going back to each other, or if you have vastly different conflict resolution patterns, problems can also arise. And these are these are the couples that I was talking about, where you know if one of them is very explosive, the other one kind of you know fades away, and it might not really work. Um, But yeah, these couples find themselves stuck in in problems that they can't really solve because both of them will be in some kind of emotional. Um, and there's no way for them to interact because as one of them, you know, expresses themselves very loudly and argumentatively and they want to shout and they want to get it all out in the open, the other one's the opposite and the other one just wants to lay it all out and have a grown-up discussion. So one of the people is going to get hurt, and that's a dysfunctional relationship. That's an unhealthy relationship, according to this paper. Um, so again, these the, these dysfunctional relationships um, are characterized because of how much they, you know, they 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 use what they are calling the four horsemen, and these are criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and withdrawal. Or uh, the withdrawal is also sometimes called stonewalling, and so. Let's just have a look at these because I think this is incredibly interesting. I want to almost compare these to like logical fallacies that people use even outside of relationships just in, you know, normal everyday discourse and you know, in everyday conversations and arguments. And the first one is criticism. And this is attacking someone's personality rather than character. And I think a lot of people relate to this and know what I'm saying. And this is basically not, not addressing what they have done, but instead almost blaming them and saying, you know, this is your fault, this is what you're like. Um, I think a lot of people would also like to categorize this as gaslight. Um, and I mean, fair enough, I probably would too, because this is any statement that begins with you always do this, or you never do that. And, that's where the, that this is i feel like that's what's telling you that you're not trying to find a way out and you are not trying to find um you know a, a solution to your problem you're just trying to pass blame from one another you're trying to just find out you know who's at fault for this the next one is defensiveness and this is you know com in, in mi- mixing it with the first one, when you feel like you are not trying to find a solution but instead you're being attacked, you're not going to try and keep finding the solution, you're going to defend yourself. And so this is a generally just trying to defend yourself because you think your partner is attacking you or your character in some way. And so a very common defense mechanism is when someone rarely admits that they are in the wrong and just blames the other person for not somehow preventing their mistake, which makes it their fault, right? So this is the kind of, you know, you're, you're denying responsibility for the problem, you are deflecting, you are, def- you are d- d- deflecting and d- defending essentially and, and attacking the other person, and that just adds fuel to the fire. And this is, you know, this is on a very minimal scale, something like, you know, you're having an argument about, I don't know, um, breaking your partner's favourite mug. And you say, yeah, well, I broke it, but I wouldn't have if you didn't leave it there. So again, you're not finding a solution you are just trying to pass off the blame and you are trying to find, you know, essentially, this can go on forever. This can go to, you know, where, yeah, I broke it, but if the man who made it didn't make it, I wouldn't break it. So, like, like it gets to that ridiculous point of whether the, the argument isn't even an argument anymore. It's just trying to blame the other person. And the third one is um, contempt, and this is any statement, this is so incredibly important, I didn't even know how incredibly important this was in terms of conflict resolution, this is any statement, verbal or non-verbal behaviour, that puts you on a higher um, level than your partner. So this is facial expressions, eye rolling, or, you know, making faces, pulling faces, And this, according to this paper, is the single best predictor of divorce. Who would have thought that you pulling faces or rolling your eyes at your partner is actually the best predictor of divorce? But this is what this paper says. Apparently it is found in heavily unregulated and unhealthy couples and essentially is at a zero in healthy relationships. So this is kind the kind of thing, you know, when you are kind of distracting the person in an argument and you say things like, it's not, I could care less, it's, I couldn't care less, you're so stupid, or like, you should have known that, get that right. You know, it's, you know, distracting and taking these little things and running with those. And again, it's just so particularly, you know, corrosive to relationships that actually is found at such a high, high, percentage in unregulated and unhealthy couples and they found that healthy couples don't do it at all and i can definitely relate to that i don't think i've ever rolled my eyes or sighed or did anything like that during an argument out of respect so i think that still ties into you know the the very popular answer at the beginning of the podcast when i said that a lot of my audience said you know relationships are built on communication on trust and on respect and i definitely agree with that and the last one is withdrawal And I've definitely um, experienced that before as well. So this is when the listener genuinely just withdraws. So, you know, essentially what it says on the tin, they leave. They either emotionally shut down or they physically leave the interaction, like they leave the room. Um, and nonverbal behaviour expresses the withdrawal, and this is going to be, you know, not looking at you, looking away, um, saying very little or nothing at all, or concealing your facial expressions or just no facial expressions whatsoever, essentially just ignoring you. Because at that point, you're no longer working as a team to come up with a solution, now <laughs> you are just talking to a brick wall. Um, of those people who withdraw are men and when women withdraw it's very predictive of a divorce, it's very predictive of a divorce and I think that's so incredibly interesting. Um, This paper says that men withdraw as an attempt to decrease the state of being flooded and to self-sue, so essentially they're saying when men leave the room it's because they can't handle the overwhelming amount of like flooding, you know, information and emotions. And so they just need a second, they need to breathe. But when women leave the room or withdraw, it's because they've had enough. It's it's because it's done, it's over. And I can definitely relate to that. Um, in my past relationship, the, the you know, the, the boy I was with, I'm not gonna say a man because I was very young. The boy that I was with um, used to leave, the room, and I've definitely known a few people whose partners would just leave as soon as a, you know, as a conflict arose, or as soon as um, a confrontation started, or an argument started, they would just leave, and that's essentially to just You know it's it's just annoying and it's just a lot of shouting it's a lot of overwhelming emotions so they leave whereas i feel like women generally stay until they can stay no more like we will tolerate so much but once we are like no i'm done it's done and there's no going back so i think that is such an interesting paper um I think it's honestly something that is really worth looking at and again this was by dr John Gottman and you can definitely look him up but yeah please let me know what you think I thought that was incredibly interesting from my own perspective I think that it's very very important to have the same life goals and the same um interests you know small differences i would say make it more interesting but generally i think it's more important to be similar than different and i think it's very important to respect one another even during arguments um if you have to raise your voice that is no longer an argument at least in my opinion it's no longer a way now to find a solution because i feel like we are being distracted by tone of voice Um, and we are being taken, like our focus has been taken away from what the person's actually saying to how they are saying it and again it's putting us in this emotional mind rather than you know grounded logical mind and that's not how things get done, like nothing will be solved by shouting and by disrespecting each other and I think this paper really shows that and I think it's really really useful. Yeah, I I just thought it was really useful because no one ever really put it in perspective like that to the point where you know they have identified the exact processes and given them a name and just talked about it in such a in in such a way where you can actually see it being applied to relationships and even going as far as to you know linking something like eye rolling and facial expressions to divorce I think it's incredibly interesting but do let me know what you think and do definitely you know let me know if this is something that you see in your relationship or maybe it's completely different maybe you and your partner are completely different and your relationship is the best that like you have ever experienced in your life i am so incredibly curious to hear what you have to say please hit me up on all of my social media they will be linked um in the description of this podcast and also you know if you found this podcast you probably already have my social media so do message me there do comment down below do let me know what you think i am very curious to hear from you but for now that is all i have for you guys and thank you so much for joining me here on my new passion project i really hope that you are just as excited as i am to start this and you know i hope that we can explore a lot of in-depth issues and some really fascinating topics um with some guests and you know different hosts and people who can give us some different perspectives um and i hope that you know you can actively take part um in these discussions as well and let me know what you think but for now that is everything that i have for you guys this week thank you so much for tuning in and i'll talk to you next time bye guys